Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. How is everybody this morning? We good? Obviously awesome. Okay, cool. I do have to start out by saying that it is always me that boos Aiden's jokes. And I did that, and my wife looked at me and she goes, do not boo him, I love his jokes. So, I feel like you need to know some one person in the world likes your jokes. I also have to say, her sense of humor isn't that great, but so, it's okay. Alright, so we are getting into... A study. We started it last week. Uh, it's more of a walkthrough, a look through. You know, the Psalms have quite a few of them. So we're not going to do a 100 plus Sunday look at the Psalms, but we are going to be here for a few weeks. Uh, and we are looking at songs you should still be singing. Today we are going to be looking at Psalm 73. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do. You take out your Bible, open up to Psalm 73, and that's where we're going to be today. So when you're looking at the Psalms, one of the things I wanted to do while we were looking at this series is I wanted to show you that there are different, as you listen to music, all the songs have different genres. Would you agree with that? Yes. 21 Pilots is not, in fact, 50 Cent. Like, they're different genres, right? Like, we have completely different genres, and they have different reasons for being sung. And that happens the same for us in worship. There are worship songs, and then there are songs that you sing with the intention of teaching something, and you're not really expecting everybody to sing along with you. Does that make sense? Like, you have these different ideas. What we're looking at today is going to be a wisdom psalm. It's just like, just like last week, Dan did a wisdom psalm. And the intention of this one is like a worship song, but it's more like the special music you do before you pre preach. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me? Everybody doing this together? Like, think about that special music where you have that person that can really sing, and they decide, hey, let's teach a lesson through song. Well, that's what this is. That's what we're looking at today. We're looking at a song that wouldn't necessarily be the one that everybody would sing together. It's the one that one guy, his name Asaph, decided to sing to teach a lesson. Now, Asaph, um, we got a little bit of work to do here. I'm going to do it as fast as possible, okay? Asaph was a Levite, which means he was responsible for worship within Israel. And the time frame we're working with here is David has been seated on the throne. He is fully king, and he started to organize everything. And he prioritized worship in his organization. If you want to read about that, read in First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and the amount of organization that we see going on is huge. Some of you S3 types, you might really love this. Um, some of you not S3 types might have a hard time with this, but it's very organized. And in this time, what he does is he appoints one man who is responsible for the worship before the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you know anything about the history of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant got lost, got returned, 
once it was returned, it was in the house of David, but the temple hadn't been born. It hadn't been created yet because his son was going to build the temple. So they had the sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant was housed. And Asaph was responsible for the worship before the Ark of the Covenant. And he is credited with 12 of the Psalms we find in the book of Psalms. Why is this important? Because he's about to start in on this Psalm where he describes a time when he almost completely lost his faith. He is about to start in. Now, he's not just, you know, like a churchgoer. Not that being just a churchgoer is bad. I would say if all you're doing is attending church, that's bad. You should be volunteering and helping within the church. But not just being, not that, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he is the guy up on the stage. He is the guy that leads the worship. He is the guy that King David, who got his first job as the guy who sung the songs that calmed the soul of the king, said, I trust you with worship before the Holy of Holies, the place where the, the where God rests. That's who he is. I trust you. And he is going to write a psalm about when he almost completely lost his faith. And I think one of the lessons we can learn from this is that ultimately throughout history, his family ended up being responsible for teaching and leading worship for the entire temple. Having a time where he had a crisis of faith didn't destroy his ability to worship God. It actually made him able to be the one that led worship, his family led worship for generations in the temple. So if you are one of those people, and this is going to be what kind of a, a lesson we're in today, is if you have ever been someone who has ever had a crisis of faith, where you say something happened and now I don't know where I am with God. I don't know how to relate to God right now. Actually, I'm about to lose everything I believe in because of where I am right now. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, if you've never done that, if you've never been through that, you are a blessed human being and you're probably 12. But if you have ever been in one of those situations where you were just like this close to being like, all right, I'm out, I'm done. I don't believe this anymore. I'm done. If you've ever been this close, that's where Asaph, the one responsible for leading the congregations in worship before the Lord, said he was. And having said it, he didn't lose his job. The church didn't go, well, we see that you've had a bad time. Let's see if we can like fire you. No. What happened is they listened to, and learn. So what my intention is today is we're going to look at Psalm 73 and I want for you to hear it as a psalm, a song, and remember that we don't write songs the same way we might would write a letter. And this is going to be stepping outside of my comfort zone because my preaching style is very much Paul said it, I agree with it, let's move on. Right. That's who I am as a preacher. Look what he said. Isn't it cool what he said? We agree with what he said because he said it. Let's move on. But the Psalms, which I'm Braswell said, maybe we should do some Psalms. I went, oh, no, because they are, by definition, emotional. 
by definition, you must, and honestly, if you read a letter from Paul and you don't feel the absolute in-loveness that he has for the people he's writing the letter, you've read it wrong. But if you're reading a psalm and you never emote, you've read it wrong. Song, we don't write songs so that people won't feel emotions, do we? No, we don't. We write songs so that people can feel it with us. So what I want you to do is I want you to hear this song as he talks about his struggle and see if you can kind of see where he goes. And this is it. It's a 28-verse psalm. Uh, Cheryl said, now what are you going to do in 30 minutes with a 28-verse psalm? And we will see, won't we? Okay. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pains unto death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is in their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. Their scoffs and speak, they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked. Every morning, if I had said, I will, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generations of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself. You despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in, in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart might fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I might tell all of your works. Now, of course, the easy lesson here is it is better to be in the house of the Lord than to be in the house 
of the wicked, right? It is better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than in the tents of the scoffers. That's the easy lesson here. But I've entitled my sermon, Slips, Trips, and Falls, A Survivor's Guide. Asaph is a survivor of him slipping and tripping and falling. I, Jeremiah Verdant, am a survivor of slipping and tripping and falling. And my intention today is kind of to mimic or to, to do as Asaph showed us to do. And I want to work through this psalm and I want to show you the phases. I'm not calling my points in my sermon points. These are going to be phases. Aha. Uh -huh. The phases of what it looks like to first slip and fall, but more importantly, how to be rescued from this fall. Now, when I was thinking about this, I was reading this, I was thinking about what did my one of my worst falls look like? And I have you, you, to think in your head, like, hmm, when I say, hey, have you ever fallen down? Stop that picture. Think about that. You got a picture of a time you fell down? This is mine right here. I was thinking about I was in Afghanistan. I was in Bagram. It was wintertime, and they had this long stretch of open field that they called Profile Alley. And they call it Profile Alley because so many people got hurt but it was the quickest way to get from the airfield to our dorms, right, or our barracks. And I was like, well, I'm going to go out there. And the rule is you're not supposed to talk on the phone and walk. But it was 20 degrees, and I had a full face mask on, which meant I could have earbuds in and no one would know. Not that I would. Yeah, I did that, right, which meant that I could be distracted while I walked. So I had called Rachel, and we were talking, and it was really good. And she even said, Jeremiah, if you're not supposed to talk and walk, don't talk and walk. I was like, ah, it's more like guidelines, right? And it'll be fine. And I was walking, and then she got off the phone, and I heard a big noise over in the other area. And I did this number. Well, Profile Alley is a straight sheet of ice. Just a straight sheet of ice. So what did I do when my head whipped off to the side? Well, my feet went with me, right? And I'm in full battle rattle. I've got my vest on. I've got my helmet on. So I'm like 40 pounds heavier than normal. So I just, both feet up in the air, hit the ground. So what's my first thought as soon as I hit the ground? Is anybody watching? Did anybody see me fall down, right? Is anybody aware that I just hit the ground loud enough for it to echo off of the walls? Does anybody know that that just happened? And then my next thought is, I'm just going to stay here. This is where I live now. I live on the ice, on my back, and I'm never moving again. Because when I landed, I hit sideways, and my side plates caught my ribs. I was like, this is where I live. And then eventually I had to say, I'm getting up. So I had to get up, steady myself, and I still had the rest of Profile Alley to get across. Right? Now, my, what I would like to show you is that our falls are very much just like that. Your phases are going to go eyes off of where you're supposed to be going and distracted, right? And then the slip, and then am I going to get up? I don't know. 
This seems like a pretty great place to be. It's miserable, but I'm happy with this misery. And then finally, I think I'm going to get up, but once you get up, what do you got to do? You got to recenter and start walking again, right? So that my first phase, I'm calling walking on ice. And I'll, I'll, I think that it's important to notice that you usually don't fall when you think you're going to fall. You fall when you think you have sure footing, but then you find ice. And I love all the videos on Instagram where people are just riding their bikes and all of a sudden black ice just takes them out. Like it's the most fun to watch and the least fun to be a part of. Well, Asaph was the guy to lead worship. But he says, he even says, I am tormented day and night. I am not healthy and people do not respect me. So where are his eyes? Where are his eyes? On himself, right? Now, if you're going to try to get across Profile Alley, where you got to go? Where your eyes need to be? They need to be on where you're going, right? Now, where his eyes were on his self. Nobody respects me. I'm not healthy. I don't feel good. But look at these guys. They are healthy. His eyes have been removed from where they ought to be at the time. His eyes have been removed from the Lord, right? How many of you have ever been in that position where you were, you thought you were good, you were settled, and you're like, I think I'm good, but then your eyes are removed from the Lord? Maybe sometimes it happens gradually. What I have found is generally it happens very quickly. People usually don't fall when they go gradually because somebody goes, hey, 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 buddy, come back over here because you're a part of a church, right? But when somebody's eyes get drastically moved, that's when they start to fall, right? And I'll tell you mine. Mine happened still in Afghanistan. Same trip. The exact same trip. And i got to tell you, I thought I was the most solid human being in the world. I was keeping up with my relationship with my wife and kids from Afghanistan, which I was advising other people to do. And I was like, man, you're killing it. You're doing great. I was leading two Bible studies a week. I had stood up. Two brand new services across Afghanistan. I was leading worship on a regular basis. I had taken up the practice of handwriting the books of the Bible in order to concentrate and feel it. I had three notebooks sitting next to my desk or in my backpack that were full of handwritten. I wrote out the Bible handwriting. I was solid. Did a couple of hero flights. If you don't know what those are, those are when you fly with the bodies of people who had been killed in action. Did a couple of those. Oh, a little less solid. Still solid. Did a memorial ceremony. Still okay. Got moved out to the other places, the outer parts of Afghanistan. <laughs> Bored, but still okay. But I got a phone call. That phone call told me, eh, your dad's not doing so good. He's probably fine, though. Well, okay, we're fine. No, you need to get home. He's dying. Now, you got to understand, like, before I left for Afghanistan, my dad had been sick since I was 18 years old. And I had prayed a prayer, and I said, God, dad's looking healthy. Just keep him alive till I get home. That's all I want. That's it. From you, God, my, my request for you is just I want to see him again. I want to see him. I want him to hug me. I want him to give me uh, all the things he does when I show up.
But I got the phone call said, he's gone into a coma, he's dying. You got to get home. So I'm in this picture. Now, where's my head? My head was, you're a pastor in a place that needs a pastor. And then my head got over here. News. Someone told me something. A thing I wasn't wanting to hear. Your dad's dying. You got to get home. Anybody ever been there? Facing this direction, and then you catch news, whack, and now you're over here. Now my face was faced over here, and in my mind, I was saying, you're still good. You're a pastor. Of course you're good. How could you not be good? I don't need help. Why would I need help? I deal with death all the time. This is a thing I'm accustomed to. This just happens to be your dad. Right? The man that you looked up to your entire life, if I had to paint out what a perfect man would be, it would be him. That's who was dying. You ever been there? Been headed in one direction and somebody moved your compass immediately? But I was too, I, I was solid. I couldn't be moved. Asaph, his eyes got moved. His responsibility was for his eyes to be where? On where? It's okay, guys. Just pretend we're in the Baptist church. You can talk. His eyes had to be on the Lord. Where did my eyes need to be? On the Lord. Where were they? In my mind, I had just found, or I think maybe Satan had just found a purchase. In Asaph's mind, Satan found a purchase. He says, man, I just want to be like them. And what happens when you turn your eyes from Jesus is step two of phase one is that you hear a lie. You will be lied to. It's the way Satan works. He tells lies and he expects for you to believe them. He was told a lie. He says, look at all these people who are not following God. Don't they look like they're living good? But you are not enjoying every part of your life. Which one's better? What lie did he hear? He heard, I think maybe it might be easier to just not be following God. Right? That's the lie that he heard. He says, oh man, I think this is going to take purchase in my brain. What lie did I hear? The lie I heard was, God doesn't answer prayers. Same phase, right? We're going through the same phases. You will one day go through these phases. If you are with me, you're saying, oh, I remember this phase. This phase was no fun at all, right? If you've never been through it, I'm going to tell you, this phase is no fun at all. But how did we get here? Our eyes went where? Away from God. Right? We got turned away from God. And I'm in the middle of Afghanistan where everybody thinks that I'm the hired holy man. So no one's facing me back to God. And Asaph is also the hired holy man. And nobody expects for his eyes to not be on God. Right? So the community is here. We're supposed to be looking at each other and saying, hey, where are you looking? This isn't a good look for you. You're looking the wrong way. But if we don't got those things, or if you don't have those things, then your eyes get turned. You're going to hear a lie. And when you hear a lie and give it a little bit of purchase, what do you do next? 
you fixate on that lie. I can see some of you younger people, you're like, golly, that seems like a terrible process. I'm never going to do that. Okay, just listen. This is going to happen. And I see some of the other ones of you. You're looking at me like, oh, I remember. I remember being there. That was no good. And I think maybe some of you might be there where you had some bad news, a bad thing happened. How appropriate is this right now that such a bad thing has happened over in Maui where people's eyes are being shifted all over the place, where we have the ability when something happens and we get put onto slick ground and we have the ability to keep our eyes on Jesus, but we take them off and we hear a lie, what we're going to do is fixate on them. And I want you to look at this. Tell me if this doesn't sound like a guy who's absolutely fixated on a lie. For they have no pangs unto death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. I want you to just hear the attitude. Like, this isn't like poet poetry. This is a dude that comes into the chaplain's office to talk about his BC. Okay? Fat face and his stupid glasses and he just always has to be right all the time. This is him right here, right? They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace, obviously. Violence covers them as garments. Their eyes swell out through their fatness. Is this a fixation? I've never heard anybody speak like that that wasn't absolutely livid and fixated. They wear arrogance as a necklace. Their eyes swell out through their fatness. Like they, he is fixated on this lie. And he gets down to the bottom of it. And he says, all in, and, he says um, and, and they say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge in the most high behold these are the wicked always at ease they increase in riches all in vain have i kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence for all day long i have been stricken and rebuked what do you say it'd be better for me to not be following god and be able to be one of these rich fat stupid people that's where he is this is not an emotionally solid dude right here. He is angry. He is bitter. He is losing his mind. Have you been there? I have. I'm just going to let you know. I am the hired holy guy. I have absolutely lived there. When I got back home, I lost my mind. Like I wasn't throwing things at the kids or anything. I was just angry. Because the thing that was my center, the thing that was my solid ground, I had moved my eyes from that. Right? And I heard a lie. And that lie was God doesn't answer prayers. And then I went through every hope, dream, desire, half want that I never prayed for and said, see, God didn't answer those prayers either. And then I went on down and I said, okay, fine. Maybe God does answer prayers because my sister said, well, he does answer prayers. He answered my dad's prayer before he died. And I was like, I don't want to hear that. Maybe he does answer prayers. He just doesn't answer mine. Oh, but it got worse. 
Oh no, God doesn't just not answer my prayers. God punishes me for my prayers, so I'd best not pray. Because if I pray for it, the opposite happens. Does any of this sound logical? It's not. It's not logical. I didn't have the high and mighty, wonderful, good God upstairs like, I wonder what I can beat him with next. I wonder if he prays for something, if I can just tell him no. That's not what was happening. But in my mind, I was like, this, no, no, no. He doesn't love me. He doesn't answer my prayers. And honestly, I've dealt with death before. But this one, my eyes shifted and I said, no, he doesn't answer prayers. And in fact, he answers the opposite of my prayers. So I'd best stop praying. And I still remember that that just got worse and worse and worse. Why? Because I was fixating on that lie. Just the way Asaph does. This is what I want you to see. This isn't unusual. This is usual. This is the way it works. To where he gets to the bottom, he says, it would be all in vain I've lived in good. All in vain I lived the way I was supposed to live. It would have been better if I hadn't. Which is where I want to get to phase number two. Where you recognize the danger. You recognize that you are in danger. When you start to slip on the ice, there's always that feeling where you're like, oh no. This is going to be bad, right? For Asaph, he says this. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generations of your children. He was leading worship before the ark. And if he had just got up in front of the ark and said, you know what, guys? It's no good. Let's not worship the Lord. Go out and make money. That's what you ought to do. What would he have done? How much damage could he have caused right there? One, his children would not have ended up leading worship, potentially. In the temple, those who followed him would have said, See, I knew this God thing was fake. As a Levite, he would have led everyone in the wrong direction immediately. He came to this conclusion. He says, if I had said what was in my mind, thank God that churches don't have a holy projector screen where you walk in, they put it in the back of your head and through your eyeballs, it just projects everything you think, right? Because all of you would stay home, as would I. I might not do, you don't need none of this. We just keep that where it belongs, right? No. But he said, if I had said what I thought, I would have destroyed everything. Not just for myself, but for my children and your children. And I remember that thought. I remember it. I was. We had gotten back to Fort Drum. We were back in New York. We were like, where are we going to plug into a church? So we were out looking for churches to go to, right? Because I needed some time to not be angry before I was leading worship. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. But God knew, and I found a really good church that helped me. But when we were looking, we got to this one church, and there was a song 
that they were singing. I could just feel Rachel like, oh, this is a good one, right? And the song says, all my life he has been faithful. All my life he has been so, so good. And Rachel's like, this is a good one. And in my mind is, no, he's not. Not true. I won't even tell you the words I used to explain how not true that was. No, he's not. It's not true. I don't believe it. I'm sitting there with tears going down my face. Rachel's got her hands on me. She's praying for me. I can feel it. And in my mind, he's what are you doing? He's just going to say no. Angry. But as we left that church, I said, I am in danger. I'm in trouble. If I say this, what are my children going to do? If I say this, what does my relationship with God look like? If I do this, if I walk this path, where will I end up? And who am I going to take with me? I'm in danger. This is bad. So I turned to my brigade chaplain uh, who told me, you got to sort this out so that... Uh, I don't have to write on your OER that the hamster can't spin its wheel. I said, oh, got it. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't. Uh-oh, I'm in danger and alone. Right? So what I did is kind of what ASAP did. He says, but when I thought, and this is verse 16 and 17, and this is the crux and the best part of this entire thing. If you hear no other verses, hear these verses. It says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me wearisome until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their ends. What was the change? What was the change? What's the sanctuary? What do you do in the sanctuary? You worship. That's what you do. You worship in the sanctuary. He says, I don't know the answer to this question. When I think about it, it seemed exhausting to think about it. When I tried to find the answer, I was exhausted. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. I was exhausted until I decided with beyond my doubts, beyond my ability, beyond anything else. It wasn't a it was a moral turn. I don't have the answer. I haven't sorted this out yet, but I will worship the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. I will worship the Lord. And I went with Rachel, and we went and got this notebook right here. I said, I'm going to journal. i got to sort this out. I was reading it while I was preparing for this sermon. I was reading, and I was like, the very beginning of it, he says, we're going to figure out where this goes because it ain't good. And I hope over the course of this notebook, the tenor changes. That's what I'm hoping for. And then, like two pages in, I said, uh, it still ain't good, but I'm going to read the Old Testament prophets to try to find some answers about people who lost their way and God brought them back. 
And I just laid out a whole reading plan. What was I looking for? Answers. Still trying to sort it out, right? But it wasn't until I said, God, I'm going to tell you you're good. I'm going to worship at your altar. And I'm praying you sort it out for me. Because I don't have the answer. This isn't a, I can sort this out. This isn't a, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. This is a, God, you got to fix it. And you haven't fixed it yet. And even though it's not fixed, I have decided that I am going to worship you. I'm going to worship you. Even though it's hard. Even though I don't know how to pray right now. Even though I don't know how to sing these songs without bawling like a little baby. Even though I don't know where to go to church. Because if I go somewhere, they want me to lead. And I'm not ready to lead. I don't know the answers, but I'm going to worship you. You and God sent me to a good church. He gave me a position where I could hold back a little bit. And then he had a man named Chaplain Atkinson, who was the division chaplain at 10th Mountain, reached out to me and I didn't reach out to him because he's the division chaplain and I had just made captain. I'm like, oh, this dude, he's that guy. I'm this guy. He reached out to me. He pulled me into his office. We went for a run, and I couldn't make the run. I was, <gasps> I gotta stop. And he says, what's going on, man? What's going on? Because you know what? I can tell you're not good. You can't always be good. It's okay if you can't always be good. What's going on? He gave me a book, and that book is called The Most Hard Thing. And in that book, it showed that God is with you. The God of the Bible, the one that died on the cross, the Jesus on the cross is the one we worship. Not the Jesus who stayed in heaven and said, we'll see what happens. Not the Jesus that sent us money. The God who came down and died on the cross and suffered with us, that's the one we worship. And while I was suffering, where was Jesus? Suffering with me. He said, if you sin, there will be death. And there was death. He said, I can't unbreak my promise. If this happens, then this happens. But I will weep with you as you weep. That is what Jesus says he does. And that's what he proved he does. And I said, oh my goodness, that's true. And he says, after, and Asaph said, once I decided I will worship then the answer became clear, and he goes down the verse, he says, these people who have all their money, all of their money is all they've got. I have eternity with an almighty God. Who has more? It's me. I'm more blessed. It's me. I have what's going on. And then all of a sudden, pictures for me start rolling through my mind how when Rachel was about to get sick, this random, just random, older Black lady at the wall at the grocery store walked by, touched my arm, and just started bawling. I was like, "Oh no, crazy lady!" And she says, "The Holy Spirit told me to tell you, it is going to be okay, and that He's going to be with you." And then went through the hardest five years, and at the end of it, the thing that carried me through was what. This beautiful woman who told me that the Holy Spirit said it was going to be okay. Or about the fact that God gave me the wife 
that would be sitting next to me and holding my arm and praying for me or the children that are still happy to see me come home or the home that I have or any of the blessings and the prayers that I prayed to God and asked him for that were good things and that he answered. But when did all this clarity come to my mind? Was it when I was trying to sort it out? No, it was when I said, God, you are good and I will worship you. And then you get to the end of this passage, which is just ridiculous, considering where he came from. He says, but for me, it is good to be near God. Here's my overall message. This is everything I'm saying to you. Praise man, y'all can come on up because I'm, I'm done because this is what I'm trying to tell you. I'll even get out your way. If you are going through this time that we've been talking about this whole time, this is your answer. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We've been singing it for years. We've been singing it since the Psalms that yes, you are going to have your gaze averted from Jesus. And maybe you're there now. Maybe you're remembering where you used to be. Maybe you just wished I would not share my story. Too bad my mic, right? If the way it is is that if you are going through these times, the God of the universe sent his son to earth to die and suffer with us. He's not in heaven saying, dance puppets. He's in heaven saying, I am weeping with you. And it is when we decide to turn our eyes that direction. Who answers the question? It's not me. It's him. I don't know where you are. But here's what I want you to do while we sing this song. It's going to be a short song. We're not going to spend a lot of time. Is it a short song? I don't know. It's a song. We're not going to spend a lot of time. If you need to pray, this is my invitation to you to turn your eyes to Jesus. If you don't know how I do, I will be right here. Come on up. I've done it. I've been through it. It's terrible. Let's do it together.